0: Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter, as we talk about college basketball, the MLB, the NBA, the Formula One, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 182. <laughs> We're gonna be talking about some cycle men's basketball, some recruiting wins coming up here in a second. And I saw this stat come across my feed the other day from the website on3on3.com, which I had never heard of until I saw this. Apparently it's founded by Shannon Terry, who is the guy who previously founded 24 um, seven sports and apparently rivals.com, which Yahoo acquired a couple of years ago or something. Um, So that's kind of interesting. But they have stats on valuations for NIL money by school, essentially, which I find interesting because I don't see how you can even come up with those numbers accurately. Even if you have just the public information for NIL stuff, there's got to be so many private deals happening that you can't accurately age anything, right? Yeah, I would assume so. But they went through and ranked all of football in the Big 12, um, one through 12 anyway. Of average NIL earnings per player, with West Virginia in first place at twenty-two thousand, uh, Tech at nineteen point two thousand per player, Cincinnati eighteen point two, and then Iowa State at thirteen point four, and then it just drops off from there all the way down to BYU at five point nine thousand per player. These these numbers are completely meaningless, but I find it interesting that after Cincinnati and kind of Iowa State, there's just a huge drop off between Kansas State, um, Florida, Baylor, TCU, Houston, Okie State, Kansas, Florida. And BYU ucf oh yeah. central florida, central florida. Oh. I, I was confused too mike i was like They're the
1: what? only
2: florida team did i miss more realignment news
3: university of florida probably
0: gets way more than that oh yeah i absolutely. think
2: weren't they the ones that got in trouble or was that miami like the oh,
0: free miami. car yeah so they have that for football they also have um basketball they only have uh teams that have commits so far So there's only six that currently have commits for the 2023 season. That's Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, and TCU. And out of those, the average NIL per player goes 15.6 for Baylor, 14.5 for Tech, 14.1 for Oklahoma, 12.9 for Oklahoma State, and then 10.9 for Iowa State. So much closer, I guess, right now with whatever ranking they're using. But I just find that interesting. And more specifically, On3 says that, these numbers signify an athlete's value at like a specific moment in time. So these numbers will allegedly fluctuate kind of like I think like a stock market index fund or something, I guess. But uh, and like, this is this is yeah.
2: per year stats. Is that correct? The monetary amounts? Yes, uh, okay. per player, per year. Gotcha.
0: Averaged out across the, the team. does
3: it does like an I mean, like an index fund,
0: does the value change daily or when do they update that? They never specify it. They just say it's a proprietary algorithm. Um, like I'm assuming they've taken in ideals to date, right, to, to help make this information. But according to them, quote, it signifies an athlete's value at a specific moment in time. So I don't know. I would like some more information on this, specifically how they're getting these numbers. But I find it interesting that we're actually seeing basically a stock market for teens, I guess. It, it sounds weird when you say it like that for sure. That's basically uh, what it is, though. You're right. I mean, I'd be,
2: yeah, like Kyle said, I'd be curious how often it updates. If somebody goes for basketball, whatever, drops 35 and 15 in a game, is all of a sudden, does that number jump up dramatically? It might. But again, we'll to keep an what eye is on. that
0: valuation? Like, what's
2: it even mean? It's proprietary, which means they can make it up and <laughs> you don't have to worry about it.
1: Exactly. Propi- in this case, proprietary is another name for I'm BSing all of this.
2: <laughs> right. Absolutely. Really? He asked how often it updates. He's like, I have no clue. I haven't
3: figured out how to do this yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that, inter- that is interesting, though. I, I do kind of like it. It's a good idea. But...
3: And it, it might be—it might be interesting to see how it like drives players to, you know, say, "Hey, I have a lot of value. Let me go where there's more value." I don't know if they would ever look at that, but some might. So we'll see. It's—it's it's always going to grow and evolve, and we've always kind of wondered. Will Iowa State be able to keep up with the NIL right now? And so far on the uh, men's basketball recruiting trail, TJ Hawkinson is bringing... Or T- wow. T- J- T- the, uh, H- the tight end for, the, the, tight Detroit, end Detroit for the Detroit Lions is now recruiting uh, for Iowa State men's basketball. Uh, sorry, TJ Oselberger... Uh, I... <laughs> I might correct that one, too. Uh, has had some big wins on the recruiting trail. Already, we have talked about um, Jelani Hamilton coming in uh, from Cumberland Christian Academy as a shooting guard. 6'6", 180, four-star recruit. But this week, news um, broke as Milan Mom Momklyovic. Mom- Momklyovic. However you pronounce that, people are going to butcher it until we know for sure. But a six, eight power forward from Pewaukee, Wisconsin, uh, a four star recruit, 34th ranked nationally, according to 24 seven. Uh, I, it just solidifies the strong recruiting pipeline for the Cyclones from Wisconsin. Um, another one of these great recruits. He is a very tall, uh, I, I mean, he's six, eight, I guess, but he's not, he's slated as a power forward. Uh, on his recruiting dashboard and profile, but a lot of his highlights seem to profile him like a long, small forward. Uh, in some respects, he has a lot of, it, it seems like a lot of his tapes and Arion kind of mentioned this a little bit when um, I sent some of the, the videos uh, amongst the the crew here is he seems to fade away a lot uh, in his post-ups. They don't always take him to the basket. He has more of a Dirk Nowitzki style, um, formerly of the Dallas, Ma- uh, Dallas Mavericks. Uh, and he has a lot of fadeaways, shoots a lot of threes, so he seems to project a little bit more at the next level as, you know, kind of that small forward who can shoot, spread the floor, um, give a little bit of size, hopefully for rebounding. And that's that's kind of obviously the hope is TJ is really getting some size and some length in some of these players that he's going after. I mean, six, six is a shooting guard uh, that Iowa state already has. You look at a lot of the offers that Iowa state has made. Only two of the offers were under six, six and they were six, five and six, four. So TJ is really going after some height here uh, for this team. And it really kind of fits the style of playing defense. And then hopefully running out and making some shots uh, with kind of how he how he likes to run the system. With this commitment, this is the fourth highest overall recruit in Iowa State history, only trailing uh, uh, Tyrese Hunter uh, the year prior um, for Iowa State. And then I'm blank Lindell Wigginton, and I'm blanking on the other the highest. Uh,
1: Taylor Hunt Tucker, perhaps.
3: No, it was not Matt, Horton Was It wasn't Matt Thomas. Matt Thomas was weirdly high. Matt Thomas was one below. I don't the... think it was George. It was not George. It was from a while ago. Uh, before our time, probably. Yes.
1: Let's see. Hold on. I'm, I'm pulling it up. I'll be there. In I a have second. it now.
3: Craig, Craig Brackens. There you go. So he slots in uh, in between Tyrese Hunter and Taylor Horton Tucker um, from a few years back for Iowa State. So great to see that Iowa State can still make splashes on the recruiting trail. Uh, So far, very early on, this brings the class to number fifth overall, according to 24-7, slotting in behind Duke, Connecticut, Kentucky, Baylor, and Iowa State. Uh, Most of these teams only have, you know, a handful of players committed with a lot of players still yet to commit and choose where they're going to play basketball. And then obviously the transfer portal um, after this upcoming season, will uh, won't actually affect these um, rankings, but it'll change the landscape of basketball even further. So interesting to see so far, but Iowa State is not done yet. Um, the class could get could be the best ever in Iowa State history, uh, which eclipse will eclipse that Steve Prohm era that brought in um, with Tyrese Halliburton, Taylor Horton Tucker, George Condit, and some other. Uh, kid that I'm blanking on the name of who transferred out Zion Griffon Griffin. Griffin. Um, it could eclipse that when Omaha blue makes his decision in September. Um, I, as I had reported before KU Michigan state, the G league and Iowa state are obviously in contention for his services. He is another six, eight power forward that has a more developed inside first and then a uh, spread floor three shooter Game. He's ranked number thirteen nationally, number one overall in the state of Iowa, um, and I believe he's the fourth uh, rated um, power forward in the class as well. So keep an eye on that. We'll obviously keep you up to date. But some exciting news for men's basketball here going forward.
1: Yeah, that that's a big signing. It's I know it's definitely early in the 2023 recruiting cycle, but to be ranked that high um, at this point is is definitely pretty impressive. Um, it leaves me excited for the future of college basketball. Even if I'm still disappointed by the, uh, the uh, Tyrese Hunter transfer. So yeah,
2: Kyle and I were talking about it. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure that TJ was the main guy in charge of recruiting when Fred was still coach uh, somewhat famously, that was not a part of college that Fred liked very much. Part of the reason he went to the NBA so it's good to see TJ pick it back up, and he seems to have those connections still and is doing well. So, you know, fingers crossed for a little bit more uh, sustained success as opposed to somewhat a flash in the pan that happened with Coach Prom. Granted, Prom, uh inherited a bunch of NBA players, and uh, you could say TJ did not do that, <laughs> to put it no, lightly. He
1: no, he did not. We expected this team to be terrible last year, so... Yeah, he's doing great work. Um, yeah, I'm excited for the future of Cyclone basketball for sure. Um, as we look into the future here in the MLB, there was one big star who was off, reportedly offered a very large um, future deal, and that is um, Nat's young slugger, Juan Soto, who reportedly was offered a 14-year, $440 million uh, contract extension um, over the last week that he reportedly turned down as well. Um, so it means he has, um, after this season, he still has two more years um, where he's arbitration eligible for two more years before he's a free agent. Um, boy, to me, this just seems dumb. I don't know about you guys, but.
2: Yeah, you're looking at about 31 and a half million a year almost, which is just insane to think about. Um, I guess what what would be realistic for him to expect bigger than that? That's massive.
3: I I don't know. He's he's already resetting the market at that point, right? Yeah. I all he can do is just reset it even further, I, unless he had some sort of intuition on what they were trying to uh, give Aaron Judge and or what Aaron Judge's camp was looking for. Uh. And wanted to just keep going even further than that. I
0: I I don't know. It's been three years.
2: But the largest baseball contract in history, according to my quick Google here, was uh, 12 years, $426.5 million to Mike Trout in 2019. So more than that, I mean, the money per year might be a little bit less. I have looked at it there. But can you argue that Juan Soto... Is that much better than Mike Trout or that the inflation on contracts has passed it by where it's gonna be worth more? I,
1: mean, I think I don't you can think, make an argument. I don't think Juan Soto is anywhere near as good as Mike Trout. I don't think I it's agree. Even close. Yeah. But I, when
2: you're looking at the end of that deal, where a contracts gonna be and how much does he feel like he needs to jump over for the market? Cause you know, contracts are just gonna keep going up forever, basically. They're never gonna go down, it doesn't seem like. So Does he feel like the value of his dollars are not the same as the value of those dollars in the 2019 deal? I don't think it's crazy.
1: The thing that makes this difference too is right. Since he's still got two more years of arbitration, if he doesn't accept a contract extension, he's going to get paid like $3 million next year, right? Essentially by not an extension, he is turning down. Like what do you, what is that going to make Like $35 million just next year. Right, yeah, that, that's not the, a choice the, I would make. That's that's the way the system works. Like,
3: so I mean, Juan Soto's could... Juan Soto's agent is Scott Boris. If if we're all familiar with him, he's the one who tries to push the envelope the furthest. And it has been reported that he is looking for the first five hundred million dollar plus MLB contract. He wants something. That looks a little bit more like the Patrick Mahomes contract, but I mean, fully how many years, years would that be?
1: Right, you'd have to run that out over twenty years. Twenty years, yeah. No one's gonna sign anybody to do a twenty-year contract.
3: That's wild. That's like you know, what's, that's what's, what's your the longest career. contract? What's the longest contract right now? Was that the Bryce, Bryce Harper? Yeah,
1: Trout or Harper, one of the two.
3: But was it? Didn't Mookie Betts get longer than that? Harper has a thirteen-year deal. And Mookie Betts has Mookie a 12-year 12 12 deal. 14-year uh, extension for Tatis. So 14 <laughs> years is the longest. And that's the- that's a 14-year extension worth 340. So we're talking he was getting 15 for 440. That's an additional 100 mil.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, you've got to assume he thinks he's going to get traded this year and whoever he's traded to is going to sign him. Right. That to me, that's the only logic that turning that down makes sense.
3: Did any of you all see the trade value analyzer going across um, Twitter the night that um, uh, he had turned reportedly turned down the offer? I did not. Mm -hmm. So there's like a trade value calculator, and a lot of teams were on here trying to show. Like, what could, what are the Nationals looking for? Um, And then they rate like the total value. uh, And they obviously try and even it out. And they were projecting what it is. Uh, One sports writer did it for the Royals. And the Royals were projected to give up like five big leaguers plus two of their top prospects in order to even sniff at getting Juan Soto. Who is that worth it for? Like this one right here, rec- like recent just trade like projections. So Nationals get Nationals and Cardinals doing a trade. Cardinals would get uh, Patrick Corbin and Juan Soto. The Nationals would get Paul DeYoung, MLB starter. Uh, Gordon Graceffio, something like that. I haven't heard of him. Maybe a top Prospect, Matthew Libator Tyler O'Neal, MLB uh, starter. Jordan Walker, I believe, is a starter for the Cardinals. Like, that's three MLB players, starters, and two top prospects. For him, I, I don't think it's worth it at all. I don't either.
2: I can't think of a team that could give up that much and feel confident about it. I agree. Just the thought of signing someone to a 20-year contract. How many people have 20-year careers in general?
1: Granted, Juan Soto is very young compared he to... Is
2: and very rest. good. But, he you know, is, you can't uh, predict injuries. You can't predict people not lasting his, that long.
1: This is his fourth or fifth year in the bigs, and he's only 23. So, yeah, I don't know. I can't... Yeah, I don't know. We'll see how this all works out with you follow, but I can't imagine anybody's going to trade for him. I, I don't know. Maybe his trade value is lessened by the fact that you're going to have to give him a contract extension if you trade for him, probably, right? Because part of that value on that trade calculator is the fact that he's cheap for the next two years, right? He becomes immediately less valuable if he signs that contract as far as trades are concerned. So that probably lessens his trade value some, which means he could get moved, but yeah, I don't know.
3: It's interesting stuff. I don't know if, Uh, obviously the Royals shouldn't go for it when you're trying to rebuild. Twins can't go for it. There's (laughs) only certain teams who could. eh? I don't really want the Cardinals to do it. No, I don't think I want the Cardinals to do it either. And I don't really like the Cardinals. I think it's a bad deal.
2: (laughs) I mean, I I think would I be shocked by a $500 million deal? On one hand, yes. On the other hand, it's bound to happen eventually, right? Like somebody's going to get it.
1: Yeah, it's going to happen eventually for sure. But I just don't think it's now. But maybe not.
3: Speaking of stars, and more specifically possible stars of the future, is the MLB draft. Now, for most of our listeners, I mean, obviously I can't pose this question, but outside of Mike, Ariane, and Wyatt, did you guys know that the MLB draft was even happening the past couple days? I did. I, I did heard about it. Nice. Well, it's. I just wanted to talk about it. Like the MLB draft, I watched a little bit of it and a lot of these guys were projecting these players. Oh, they're a five tool prospect. They look like Mike Trout. They look like Fernando Tatis. They look like all of this. And then you hear nothing for like four years, five years, maybe even further for some of these first rounders. Maybe some of them make it uh, pretty quick, but For some of them, all of a sudden you hear this breakthrough of, oh, he's a fourth rounder, but now he's really freaking good. And is what, like, I think what the NBA and the NFL do well is they put a lot of hype around the draft. Now, obviously, in Major League Baseball, it takes a little bit longer to develop talent, but is there anything that Major League Baseball can do to help with the, you know, help evolve the game of baseball a little bit by, making the draft more interesting adding more you know stuff to it does anyone have any thoughts
2: i don't think there can be that much interest when you hype up a player i'm really excited to see him and then i just don't see him for you know two to five years because he's in the minors like i don't even know what i gotta buy to watch minor league baseball games maybe they're free i don't know because i've never looked at it but the fact that you you can't just go see you know, your favorite wide receiver that you really wanted to get on your team, and he just goes and plays with your quarterback. You have to watch a bunch of guys you don't know play another bunch of guys you don't know, and hope eventually he gets up to the level. It's just hard to maintain that excitement.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's that. It's Yeah, it's, a, it's people you have never heard of, right? Like, if you don't follow baseball a lot, you've never heard of any of the players getting drafted. Um, and... To that again, yeah, like Kyle said, they're not going to be here. I mean, I think you could add a little bit of intrigue to the draft if you decided to allow draft pick trading. Um, I still don't know how many of it, how much of that would happen during the draft, but um, it certainly would add some suspense in my mind because you don't know. Um, Who's going to get traded? But yeah, so you currently you can't trade bat draft picks in Major League Baseball with the exception of competitive balance picks. So that also takes out some of the excitement that people love from the NBA and NFL drafts, at least. They love that trading of picks. So
2: there's also the fact that college football and college basketball are massive and just huge media things. Like people you know, take off time from work to watch March Madness. People go and watch all these college football games. College baseball doesn't really have the same fervor around it. The College World Series, like, isn't really appointment viewing. You don't have the pipeline built up the same way.
1: Yeah.
3: How much much of the
1: College World Series did either of you watch?
3: Zero. I watched, like, a couple innings. I watched, yeah,
1: I watched... I guess I didn't watch any of the College World Series. I watched some of the Super Regionals before the College World Series.
0: I take that back. I did watch a couple innings of one of the games because it was on in a random TV in our resort lobby because we were on our honeymoon at that point in time. <laughs> so nice. I, I guess I did watch a couple oh, of innings. Oh, it wasn't
3: It wasn't take-off work to tune in.
1: No, I, I did watch a couple innings in the bar uh, after your ceremony too, Wyatt. It was on there. So
3: Oh, very I, nice. I, I told
2: my wife, I was like, honestly, I just, I don't really have that much interest in it. I'd rather watch the Little League World Series than the College World Series.
1: The Little League World <laughs> Series is so overblown. Don't get me started on Little League Baseball. Oh, oh no. I just think it's fun. It's silly. It's lighthearted. It's fun until you realize that it isn't. If you don't think hard enough, I agree it's fun. But once you I actually can start assure thinking hard you that I'm not thinking
2: very hard. Trust me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh Anyway, I won't go on my Little League Baseball tangent. We'll save but it yeah. for
2: another episode.
1: Yes. But yeah, there's, there's not much that I think you could do to make the uh, MLB draft more exciting. Um, yeah. And it is uh, now also the saddest uh, four days in sports. Um, it is the All-Star break. It is the only four days of the year with no major professional sports. Um, going on, and it's quite sad, and I have no idea what I'm going to do with myself uh, the rest of the week. But that's what happens during the Major League Baseball uh, All-Star break. It's it's not fun. It's not fun. I don't know what I'm going to do. Somebody tell me what I should do. That should be your your task. What should I do during the All-Star break when I can't watch baseball?
3: Uh, uh, record record watch, a bunch. Watch highlights of the ten greatest Formula One races of all time.
1: I mean, I will. I could. I will probably spend some time catching up on my MLB ejections and behind on my MLB ejections. I'll probably catch up on those. But, yeah, we'll see. But with the All-Star break, um, it is the end of the unofficial first half of the season. Um, So we figured it would be a good time to go back and and analyze our first half predictions and see... um, how we're doing um and go from there so based on a quick look i would say that uh boy probably what Ariane and wyatt are doing the best wouldn't you guys say they both have uh four out of six division winners correct so far
0: i mean not by much though
1: yeah i mean so you've Alright, so the current division winners to go through the standings are the leaders Braves.
3: sorry, not the not the winners.
1: Yeah, leaders, sorry. Are the Mets, Brewers, Dodgers, Yankees, Twins, uh, Astros. So none of us had the Mets. We had either the Braves or the Phillies. Three of the four of us had the Brewers, everybody but Kyle. And all four of us had the Dodgers. Um, none of us had the Yankees. We all picked Toronto for some reason. Um two had the Astros, Ariane and Wyatt, and nobody had the twins. We all had the White Sox. So I guess none of us are doing particularly great.
3: That sounds about right. Some of us are just better than the others.
1: Some of us
2: are worse
3: than the others. Sure, glass half full or half empty, I guess,
1: <laughs> yeah, so we'll see some of those could still flip. The Braves could certainly catch um, the Mets. The Cardinals could certainly catch the Brewers. The White Sox could certainly catch the Twins. Mariners are really, really hot right now. They've won 14 in a row, but there's still nine back of Houston, even with that stretch. They probably won't catch
3: them. And they only have a, 30, a plus thirty, 36 run differential compared to Houston having a plus 98. I, I don't see it lasting. I thought the Mariners would be a little bit more of this-esque earlier on in the season than they were. Yeah.
1: But we'll see. It, I guess it's a bad time to be on a 14-game win streak because now you've got to, you know, sit there for four days and not play and lose all your momentum. But that's the way the schedule falls, so everyone's just got to deal with it. Anybody else have any thoughts on the Major League Baseball first half they want to share?
3: Uh, Yeah, the the... Literally everyone in the AL East is 500 or better. That's true. Has okay. I, has there ever been a division that is finished with every single member at 500, every single club at 500 or better? Let's see. I'm not asking because I know. I'm asking because yeah, I'm I know. curious. <laughs> Although that would have been a fun fact. Let me see here.
1: I'm trying to find it. I'm not finding anything immediately. Let's see here. Oh, Yeah. I mean it's tough because of the unbalanced schedule right right so yeah i don't know i don't think it's happened i'm not finding anything that uh says it's happened it's the fourth time since uh in in the wild card era that a division has all its teams above 500 in july um 2012 al east 2005 nl east and 2000 al west did it um it did happen in 2005, the 2005 NL East. The Nationals were in last place at 81 and 81. So it has happened one, 2005.
2: Here's a fun fact for you.
1: But yes, that is pretty remarkable. I don't think it's going to happen. I still think somebody's going to fall apart in that division. Not sure who, but we'll see.
3: At least someone needs to probably be sellers, right? Not all five teams from the division are going to make the postseason.
1: Yeah. But four of them can. Right. So we will see. Also,
3: also, Mike, I would just like to point out for another fun fact. I know you picked the Angels uh, as your division winner. They are currently not much better than the Royals, and I just had to point that out for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, they were in first place for a little while, and then they decided to like lose 10 in a row and then like lose 8 in a row and then like do that again, which is generally not good to winning a division. So stop doing that. That's all I have to say. Anything else from the first half of the MLB season?
3: I think that pretty much sums it up.
1: All right, Arian, you want to fill us in on what happened with the rest of the NBA Summer League? Because apparently it only takes like a week and a half.
2: Yeah, we'll keep it short because I am only reporting on it because I reported on it in the first half. And I feel it's my journalistic duty to see this through till the end. Uh, The Portland Trailblazers defeated the New York Knickerbockers 85-77 to win the Las Vegas 2K23 Summer League. Um, The Summer League MVP was Trendon Watford of the Portland Trailblazers, uh, formerly of the LSU Tigers. And then the Summer League MVP overall was Keegan Murray, formerly Iowa Hawkeye and now Sacramento King. Um, Other than that, we just got the offseason going on in the NBA. trade drama. Not too much happening. DeAndre Ayton signed an offer sheet with the Pacers, which was immediately matched by the Suns. So he's still on the Suns. And we'll see how that goes from there. But other than that, I'm all good. There's not too much going on. I'll keep you updated if anything big happens. Uh, but for now, we'll move on to the next sport, which is F1.
3: Yeah. So to fill you in a little bit on what's coming up, we have... Uh, as Wyatt and the crew filled you in on last week, we have eclipsed the halfway point of the season. Only two races left until midsummer break, and up this week and next time on Formula One, we have the French Grand Prix. Uh, circuit Paul Richard, uh, or Richard, as it's probably pronounced, uh, is up next for the for the circuit. Uh, this is a 5.8-kilometer um, um, track. Uh, 53 laps will be run in this race. The lap record was formally set in 2019 as a 1-minute 32, so it is one of the longer circuits uh, on the schedule for the series. There are two DRS detection zones, obviously, going through um, the start-finish line and then after turn 7 in between the chicane and 8 and 9. Uh, There are 15 laps on this track, a lot of um, long swooping corners in section or in sector three. Uh, Sector one is a little bit more technical with a few uh, tight turns should be an interesting start of the race on the rundown to turn one, which is a tight left-hander followed by a uh, long, smooth um, turn into turn two. So we'll see who reigns supreme with some of these longer stretches uh, and some of the late breaking really lends towards the Ferrari and the Mercedes a little bit more than the Red Bull. The Red Bull is not as technical in corners, um, but those long straights are obviously better for the Red Bull, but Ferrari is slowly but surely catching up to them um, in terms of pace in the straights. It will be interesting to see if Ferrari's power units will uh, survive this heat. It is supposed to be thirty-seven degrees Celsius uh, this weekend in France, uh, which is ninety-eight degrees. Should be about the the race time uh, temperature um, for this one. So it'll be a hot one. So there you have it. There's the French Grand Prix, and then a week after that, up next we have Hungary, I believe. Hungary, yes.
1: So when is the summer break, or have we already had the summer break? Summer's almost over.
3: After Hungary. So there are two more weeks left. Uh, We'll have back-to-back races, um, France and then Hungary. And then we will go uh, into a summer break that will see us coming back uh, in late August to uh, Spa. They'll race in Belgium at Spa.
1: Fair enough. Just summer's almost over, so...
3: Right, but that's how they do it. That'll, that race is at the end of August, the 26th through the 28th.
1: So they basically get a month off.
3: Correct, because they race all the way until the end of November.
1: Yep. Cool. Well, thank you for filling us in on that one, Kyle. I'm sure you'll give us the results on next week's episode. Oh, of course. Awesome. Thank you very much. Moving right along into Mike's Stupid Rules, we're going to talk about a play that happened a month ago. Um, that I haven't gotten around to talking about yet, but it is too good not to talk about. So here we go. This is a play that happened between the Pirates and the Nationals, where late in the game the Pirates scored a go-ahead run because, listen to this, you might have to listen to it a few times, they scored the go-ahead run because the Nationals failed to record the fourth out in an inning. Now, most of you are probably asking, what do you mean? You only need to get three outs in an inning. How could somebody score if you don't get a four? Well, sit down, I'll fill you in. So what we had here was um, runners on second and third um, with one out. The batter hits a line drive to first that almost hits the ground. You know, it's one of those sinking line drives that almost hits the ground. The first baseman catches it in the air so the batter is out. Now, both runners thought that the ball had hit the ground. So they both keep running. Now, R3 comes home and he scores without tagging up. And R2 advances to third base um, without tagging up as well. So then, after R3 has scored, the first baseman throws the ball to third base, where R2 is now standing, and the third baseman tags R3. Oh, sorry, so, excuse me, R2. The third base umpire then rules R2 out properly. He did not tag up, so you appeal that he did not tag up by, by tagging him, and he is ruled out. That is the third out. At that point, um, the defense leaves the field, um, because they got three outs, and the umpires get together and talk about it, and they credit Pittsburgh with the run. Now, the reason this works is because, just like on normal plays, if the third out is not a force out, which an appeal play by definition is not a force out, right? It's right, It's just a just a regular out. If the run scores before the third out is made, the run counts. Now, since they didn't happen, since the run scored before the third out, um, the run count. Now, they could have also appealed that the runner at third left early, right? If R3 left early, essentially getting a fourth out in that case, because then R3 would be called out. So if they would have gotten the fourth out by appealing at third base, um, then they would have gotten a fourth out and um, it... Uh, the run wouldn't have counted. This is all covered by rule 509, 5.09C, by the way. Um, uh, That is the rule that applies here. Um, So it also specifically does say in that rule um, that that this fourth out is actually listed in the rules. It also does list in the rules that the team must make the appeal before they leave the field. So there was a, a time here where the Nationals tried to come out and appeal after the umpires had credited the run, but they can't do that. Once you leave the field, you can no longer appeal. Just like once you've made another play, you can no longer appeal. Same thing applies with leaving the field. You can no longer appeal at that point. Are there any questions about that rule? Well, I get that it's a little bit confusing, but does that make sense?
2: I think it's more confusing in the fact that you need technically a fourth out, but if you just look at the rules, it makes sense in a gameplay flow type of way, just not the wording.
1: Yeah, agreed. When the other thing is, um, or the other interesting fact here is that so um, just after tagging R2, the third baseman did step on third base, right? But just stepping on a base is not enough to appeal. Tagging a runner is automatically assumed as an appeal because what else would you be doing? But stepping on a base is not necessarily interpreted as an appeal unless you otherwise make an indication that you're going to appeal. So just the, the third baseman stepping on third base did not count as an appeal because he did not indicate to the umpire he was appealing R3. Right? He tagged R2, which is obvious an appeal, but did not... Formally a POR three, very confusing play, but in the end the umpires got it right. So good on them. Very fun play though. So moving along to a write that down prediction. So before we get started with our accountability session, I know we've been waiting for this, but do we want to go over the rules? Um, just do a fresher on our, our count, on our write that down prediction rules. Now that everybody's back. Yes. Wait, no. Yeah, yeah,
0: I think that's a good idea. Yeah.
1: Cool. All right. um, am I going over the rules or are you, Wyatt?
0: So I, I have documented a couple things, and we can start with what I have written down and add or subtract from that to, to codify this.
1: Sounds good.
0: So I, I, I have eight total rules uh, so far, and we'll start with one and go through eight. They're in no real particular order. Um, but we'll start with predictions can be made at any time prior to the event being predicted, provided the prediction is scored prior to the event. Does that make sense? Any issues with that one? Nope, nope, I have no issues. Two predictions can only be written down for eighty-three eleven members, which includes individuals that have lived in eighty-three eleven or guests of the eighty-three eleven cast.
1: Meaning if we're making predictions
0: about somebody or the people who can make predictions. People who can write them down. Gotcha. Okay. The issues with that? No. Nope. No. Nope. Number three, predictions shall be scored as a single, double, triple, or home run corresponding to point values one, two, three, and four. Other identifiers, such as a bunt single, are not official, but may be used to convey the absurdity or lack thereof of a prediction. Makes, Makes sense, sense to me. Ag- Agreed. Pretty obvious one. Uh, four predictions are scored by a minimum of two other eighty-three eleven members agreeing on a point value listed in Rule Three. A, if there's a disagreement with a majority in favor, the prediction is scored as a majority. So if there's a majority, right, it's one we t- we pick. Uh, and B. If there's a disagreement, uh, we can choose to. Um, if there's a disagreement, there's going to be a tiebreaker, and there's a tiebreaker rule, I guess. So we'll come back to that one here in just a second. Um, rule five a prediction must be made once a calendar week. This is like an original rule from a long time ago. Uh, the penalty for not having a prediction results in a strikeout prediction, except on weeks without an 8311 cast episode or for any other extenuating circumstances for the individual. Issues there? Nope. Nope. For six, the write that down prediction season ends at 2359
1: of May 31st. Yep, that is accurate.
0: Predictions can be refused to be written down with a majority vote. I did not know that one. That, that is that, correct. It's very rare, but that has happened. My new goal. Rule eight, any tiebreaker for anything is decided by a coin flip with a John Adams presidential $1 gold coin. Does it have to be
2: your John Adams? Or if I have one at my house, can I use my
0: John Adams? It It just has to be John Adams? It just has to be a John Adams dollar coin. All right, good to know. Yeah, uh, that sounds good to me. Did I miss anything? Do we need to add anything, subtract anything? Um,
1: I would. So you can put this in your legalese um, however you want, but predictions need not be sports-related. But if you're going to make a non-sports-related prediction, the person you're making the prediction about must approve the prediction being made
0: before you can make it. If you're making a prediction about a celebrity.
1: Okay, fair enough. You can if you are making a prediction about somebody we collectively know, they must approve it before it can be made. That seems that, fair. That that is an original rule as well. Okay. You can't just use this as a platform to rip somebody through predictions <laughs> without <laughs> approving it. So did
2: we talk about the ability to make more than one projection in a week? Cause that's one that I did not know about.
0: You have to have yeah. at least one. You can have as many as you yeah. want. You have to have at least yeah. one. Oh boy.
1: Yes. And predictions, not all predictions need to be made on the air of this podcast. You can just make a prediction and we'll write it down and cover it in accountability session later. We don't, Necessarily have to talk about it specifically on this
3: episode. And that, Unless that's it the turns rules. out to be laughable, then we will at least make a mockery of it while we take it down.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if you if you read the rules closely, even if you make a joke one that's not allowed, you you still don't get a strikeout for that week because you still made a prediction; it just wasn't accepted. I think it's fair.
1: Makes sense. Any other rules questions? We accept those rules.
2: Those we rules sound. Good to me, Since I was told uh, last week you were not allowed to file grievances, that's...
1: No, you're not. not. You can complain, I guess, it's
2: fine. There's no official appeal.
1: Once the bases are decided, they're decided.
2: Yeah, I think we got it covered. All the bases are covered, if you will. (laughs) Ha-ha!
1: So do we need a rule about how we determine winners? Like, it's obvious, but does that actually need to be in the rule books?
0: Yeah, I Um, guess we could put that in there just so it's written down. Yeah, the winner of a um, write-that-down prediction season is determined... I high... How do we determine the winner, actually? Is that the total? Yeah.
1: Highest batting average,
0: which you can put in parentheses per-
1: percentage of picks correct.
0: All right, we'll throw that in as rule number 10. I'll put a subsection within that rule as well that uh, says that that changes the ordering of how we go about the predictions on the 8311 cast. Other than that, I, th- good. I think we're good. This has been officially codified as of July 18th, 2022. Do we need to like sign something? Uh, we good. You do like signatures in um, our online word sharing thing. I don't know if it has eSign available or not. I don't think it does. If it does, we can certainly do it. If it doesn't, uh, send a PDF. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. I love it. Cool, cool.
1: All right, now that the rules are squared away, we'll dive into our accountability session. Um, only one prediction coming off the board this week. It was Josh's from last week. He predicted that um, by the end of Sunday's game, um, Rowdy Telez would be up to 20 home runs on the year. He only made it up to 18. Um, so for that, Josh gets a
0: nah. 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 Nah.
1: That is it. Um... So with no baseball this week, I am um, guess I'm going to watch the Home Run Derby and All-Star Game. Maybe if I have to. I really don't want to. But, um, yeah, not good. Anyway, I'm going to. So I'm watching the Home Run Derby. And as per um, tradition, for the third year in a row, I'm going to predict that Pete Alonso will win the Home Run Derby.
2: Well, technically, you missed a year in the middle, yeah? Because they had to cancel one because of COVID.
1: Okay, fine. For the third Home Run Derby in a row...
2: Um I would call this a single. He's won the last two. He's the odds-on leader. Uh he is plus one ninety to win this. The next closest person is plus three thirty. So almost double. Uh it feels like a safe bet
0: to me.
3: You said single? Yeah. Probably single.
0: Yeah. I won't complain. Single it is. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive?
1: Yep, he's still alive. He's doing good. Um he was watching the Brewers Bullpen. Um, these last few weeks, and uh, he w- or the last few games, and he wasn't very happy, particularly with the play of Josh Hader, who blew, um, who took losses and/or blew saves in back-to-back games against the Twins and Giants. But he's going to predict he's going to bounce back, and he will convert at least four out of his next five save opportunities. That's in at least so either four out of five or five out of five.
2: I was trying to find his overall save percentage, but I didn't find it quick enough.
1: I can probably find it here. Did you use Baseball Reference, though?
2: I am on Baseball Reference.
1: That's good. That's. An I didn't advantage. want
2: to get yelled at.
1: Uh, he's got 27 saves, and where's his blown saves?
3: That's what I couldn't find on here, but I'm also on mobile. Get me dirty the other night with a blown save that cost me 26 points. Oh, I know. I, was in,
1: I, I, I loved that, Kyle. I loved that. I'm playing against Kyle this
0: week, um, by the way, for those who couldn't figure that out. it's you know sad? My work blocks baseball reference. Like, why? I don't know. I should, know. Like, I should petition to, to unblock baseball reference at my place of work. Hey, Michael, if you're a tech to this, guy, can't you figure it out? Unblock baseball reference. I probably could, but I'll go through the proper channels. That seems fair.
1: Here there we go. Let's see. save percentage for Josh Hader is 93%.
2: That seems good. Was that for this season or his career? This, this season. Okay. I assume his career is probably similar, if not.
1: Probably about here. the same, yeah. yeah.
2: So that seems like a good bet.
1: It was 97% last year. So, yeah, it's pretty good.
0: Single? Seems like what's expected. Yeah. yeah, that's I'd what the numbers single. say. Okay. Ooh, singles in a row. Uh, hopefully, mine's not a single, but I'm going to predict that there will be a round with more than 41 home runs by an individual in the home run derby. And this does include Ooh. swing offs. Wow. So that beats the current record by two, at least, right? Um, in order, uh, the past five uh, record holders is at number five, Guerrero Jr., 2019 first round. He had 29 total. Um, Juan Soto, 2021 first round, 31 total. Pete Alonso, 2021 first round, 35 total. Peterson, twenty nineteen, second round thirty nine total. And then again, Grero Jr. twenty nineteen second round forty total.
1: This is probably least triple.
0: I mean, I want to give
2: it a home run for the thematic element of it, to be honest, and I'm gonna stick with that.
1: This is
3: triple. Probably
1: leaning towards home run.
3: Yeah. Yeah, home run for me. I'll say a home run. There you go.
1: Only because it's a home run derby prediction,
0: though. It puts me over the top. Like that's good, yeah. Right. What do you got, Kyle?
3: I have that. Uh, so I'm going going back to basketball, staying away from baseball right now for some reason. Uh, so and not
2: that it matters because this is pre recorded, but I want to state that I just got a breaking news alert to my phone that says the Big 12 and Pac 12 will not partner as talks officially end.
3: So that's about it. I mean, <laughs> I figured that would probably happen. But is that a bad the Big Twelve the Big Twelve doesn't wanna say the Big Twelve wanted to work with the Pac twelve before and the Pac twelve said nah. The now Big the Big 12,
1: twelve just wants the Pac
3: 12's teams. Right. The good teams. They yeah. have they have the Big Twelve has the upper hand right now. So why You're give correct. in and help them?
2: Yeah. I guess I just in my mind, even when I thought partner, I'm like, we're gonna eat you guys, and then we'll just be Big Twelve with Pac twelve teams, which is the goal
3: in the end. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. It's okay. It's Big Twelve relevant. To my prediction, you know, so I'm going to predict that, uh, as stated earlier, uh, Omaha Blue will commit to the Cyclones and it will make uh, Iowa State or this will be Iowa State's best recruiting class ever. So I'm on so.
2: 24-7 right now. Yep. Uh, Omaha's he, uh, crystal ball is 100% Iowa State right now with uh, three experts picking Iowa State. Out what of I see how here? many? Three. Oh, the small list. It's on Husker 24 7. So Nebraska specific because he is from, I don't know, he's from Branson. Why is this on?
3: No, Nebraska? so he's Nebraska he's, is
1: one of the others recruiting him pretty hard.
3: Oh, gotcha. I think he I think he was born in Omaha. He went to school at uh, Waukee in Des Moines, right? West Des Moines. Is is that Wyatt? It's somewhere in the Des Moines area. Um, it's a Des Moines adjacent. <laughs> Waukee sounds like
0: right. I don't remember
3: off the top of my head. So Waukee, and then he transferred to uh, whatever um, that is in Branson for one season. And he uh, just transferred back to Waukee for his senior season.
2: Gotcha. Uh, Rivals also has him 100% to Iowa State on their future
1: cast. So this seems like a single is what you're telling me. It
2: looks like a single, according to the Internet.
1: I'm fine with that. That's what I was leaning towards based on what I was seeing as well. We'll
2: go a single then.
3: I still have a gut feeling he's going to the G League, but oh well.
2: Well, if he doesn't go to us, go to the G League. Yeah, please don't go to KU. Either come play for us or make that money.
3: If you go to... uh, Sorry, I misquoted that. Michigan State isn't the other one. It's Oregon. If you go to Oregon, eh, whatever. But
2: we just don't want to see you two times a year. KU.
3: I don't even see Oregon on his list. He was down to four. It was Oregon, KU, G League, and Iowa State.
1: I don't even see Oregon on his list, so maybe 247 is
3: just wrong. If you go to his Twitter, that's what he was.
1: I uh, fair enough. I guess I should trust him more than some other site that's <laughs> not him.
3: He, yeah, his Twitter has his final four down to those. Trust me, I was doing my research on this.
1: Fair enough. Either way, I still say single. It
3: is. I think that's a little low, but that's fine.
2: Multiple sites say 100%. 100% is definitely a single.
3: On3 is saying that he's going to the G League, but
0: I don't trust On3. <laughs> <laughs> did verify he is from Waukee. It was Waukee.
3: Single
1: it
0: is. You got
2: Alright, I am going to bring it back around to the Home Run Derby, and I am going to say that Albert Pujols, at 42 years old, will take out the number one overall seed Kyle Schwarber in the first round of the Home Run Derby.
1: So what what were Schwarber's odds of winning versus uh, Let me pull
2: it up here. Uh, Kyle Schwarber's odds of winning, the whole thing, because that's what I could find easily, were uh, yeah. plus 330. Albert Pujols is at plus 2,400.
1: So is this a double? I don't think it's more than a double.
2: Really? I think, I think it. higher than that, but because I do Kyle not Schwarber, see happening.
3: Has Kyle Schwarber ever competed in the Home Run Derby? Uh,
2: yeah, he had one of the highest rounds, didn't he? Did you say that? Why or did I make that up?
0: Um, I, I didn't think that was him. I don't think that was Schwarber.
2: Oh, I must have made it up. I don't know. He's leading the MLB in home runs right now this year. Oh, that
3: was news to me. I didn't know that. I would have guessed that was Aaron Judge.
1: That's how you get the number one seed is by being the number one home run hitter. That is in the derby, at least.
0: Might be confusing my fascination with uh, Rizzo's hit by pitches. Well, I'm I lobby thinking- for a triple, but that's fine.
3: I'm going to say double. Fair enough. That,
0: that's and a double. It seems like a coin flip. I don't anticipating it matter. <laughs> <laughs> With three singles, a double, and a home run, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means, yes, we're at the end of the episode. Thank you all so much for listening to episode 182. Appreciate you all sticking around and hanging with us. In the meantime, before the next episode, next week, make sure you check out our Twitter. We uh, tweet all sorts of cool, fun, sports-related, and sometimes non-sports-related things. Interesting stuff. But Until next week, signing off for the 8311Cast. We have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. Arian Barry. Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Go Cyclones.
1: Go Cyclones.
0: Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.